right, here we are in week number two of this series called All the, All the Life We Cannot See. Um, so as we begin this morning, I thought about uh, presenting to you some of what we see related to the life we cannot see, all this life we cannot see. Because our popular culture, <laughs> going way back um, to when it wasn't so popular, <laughs> it helps us understand this world. Let's see how they help us understand this world. Here's the first one. That is a very ancient painting. This is a painting of cherubs. Um, we're going to talk about those in a little bit. I guess cherubs is the wrong way to say that. Cherub is singular. Those are cherubim. That's plural. Um, don't they look so nice and dainty? That is that, that artist portrayal of what cherubim look like. And I just to let you know. They look nothing like that. So, let's go to the next one. What else do they... Oh, here's what else they say angels look like. Um, playing a harp up in the sky. Um, just in case you're wondering. There's nothing accurate about that at all. Let's go to the next one. What else do we say? Oh, oh, here... This is a very famous uh, concept. Somewhat a famous painting of... Um, anyone know what that is? A guardian angel. That's a picture of a guardian angel, a painting, um, and again, um, there's nothing about that that's accurate. So let's let's see what else pop culture. Ta- oh, oh, anyone know what that movie is? Anybody? It's Wonderful Life. I personally have never seen the movie. Anyone else have never seen that movie? Am I alone? No, we have. We have, I see those hands. I see those hands. Good. I'm not alone. So my wife can know I'm, I'm not the only one who's never seen the movie. Uh, in this movie, that's an angel. And do you know what he's trying to do in the movie? Anybody who has seen it, anyone know? What's he trying to do? Get his wings, right, right. He's trying to get his wings. Um, and conceptually, it made a great movie, they say, um, but conceptually, there's nothing in that movie that's accurate regarding angels, not even a little bit. So just to let you know, pop culture so far has not helped us with the topic of angels. Uh, let's see, what's the next picture? Because I can't, Oh, yeah, Charlie's angels. Um, that's no help. That's no help at all. They're pointing at you for some reason. Actually, I, every, anywhere you look, I think they're pointing at you. That's haunting. What's the next picture? Uh, angels in the outfield. Now, for those of you who are um, under the age of... 40, you may have no idea what that is. Um, it made a cute movie, but there's nothing in that movie accurate about angels, except maybe nothing even accurate about baseball. I'm not sure. Okay, what's the next? Oh, Highway to Heaven. Again, if you're over the under the age of 40, you may have no idea. There's no really good current angel stuff that I could find. This is all old stuff, but um, not a lot really accurate there either, but... It made for some good TV, I think. I never saw an episode, but they say it was pretty good. Um, I was just a baby when that came out. Um, what's next? Oh, the movie Michael. Again, now, if you're under the age of 50, you may have no idea what that is. I, I don't know what that is. I have no idea. But they say it's an angel movie, and uh, that's John, John Travolta. And um, those are his angel wings. Uh, 
Nothing really accurate in that either. So really, I don't know. Do we have any other pictures? I don't think we do. That was the last one. Um, no real help from culture, pop culture, about this whole topic of angels. So let me give you some information that I did research this week, and I found this pretty interesting. Um, I talked with a guy this week uh, who has been, uh, his story has been in a lot of different books. Um, he, as far as I know, has never written about this. But uh, years ago, someone uh, interviewed him, and, and several people since then have published uh, his story. David Jeremiah has published his story, um, and a lot of other, several other, not a lot, several other people have done the same thing. But this guy's name is, is Walt Shepard. And when Walt was in his mid-twenties, um, he lived at this time in South Louisiana. Uh, he was doing pretty well in his career, but something in his personal life had gone really wrong for Walt, and he very quickly, as far as I know quickly, got very depressed. Walt was driving uh, on the road, I think it was the interstate, maybe I-10, I'm not sure, but he was on the interstate, and and he was depressed to the point that he was ready to end his life. And so uh, he saw uh, what appeared to be an abandoned car on the side of the road ahead of him. He accelerated his sports car to 120 miles an hour and made a decision to uh, ram his car into that car. Um, he was ejected um, through the windshield, and at the same moment of impact, both cars uh, full of fuel exploded in a raging fire. And uh, it was the fire was so intense between the two vehicles, with Walt uh, laying on the hood in the fire and on fire. The fire was so intense that the police, the uh, rescuers, um, the paramedics, they could not get within 50, some say 100 feet of the burning vehicles. It was so intense. And so as they stood back, and even the Holiday Inn uh, manager was, had, had come over as well, they, as they were watching and horrified, and what they were seeing, because they could not get close enough to save his life. Um, they saw, basically from nowhere, they saw two people, um, two men, walk up to the fire as if, because no one else could get close because it was so hot, but they walked up as if there were no fire at all. They just walk up, they, they scoop up Walt, get him out of the fire, and they help load him into the ambulance, saved his life. Uh, he had months and months and months of intense uh, medical stuff after that, but it saved his life. And the police then tried to make their way over to interview those two men because they wanted to, you know, write Walt up for, you know, recklessness. And uh, they couldn't find those men anywhere. And in retrospect, the people there and Walt's family realized that that was beyond natural. 
It was supernatural. And what they had witnessed, they witnessed two angels who had appeared and they saved his life. Pretty amazing. It's all that life that we cannot see, but sometimes that life allows us to see. The moment those angels stepped into our reality and they saved Walt's life. Last week, we talked about our dimensions in the physical world as we know it here in our lives. A reality that uh, we can't see, though, are other dimensions. It's estimated there may be as many as ten, could be more dimensions, but we only understand three of those spatial dimensions. We talked about that last week. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because that kind of sets up this whole topic of the, all this life that we cannot see. And we talk about why we cannot see that life. A reality in other dimensions, a spiritual realm where people appear and where they disappear where they can teleport from one place to another place. It's pretty interesting. And all of that was also, by the way, demonstrated by Jesus after he came out of the tomb. We talked about that last week. Now, also last week, in this topic of all the life we cannot see, we talked about... Um, some warnings, but first, if, you're, if you happen to be looking at the listening guide, our first blank is this. Today, we are talking about angels. So today, we're not talking about our reality. We're talking about the world of angels. But before we do that, I, I want to do this. I want to continue with some warnings. Last week, we started with some warnings. We said this last week that we warn you not to become fascinated or obsessed with the dark side of what we're talking about, of this life we cannot see, the dark side of that, because we said it is dangerous. And that would be, a fascination with that would be dangerous to you, and it would also be dangerous to people who are close to you. We said that. Last week we also warned of this. We said do not investigate this topic beyond what God tells us in His Scripture. And the reason why is because if you begin searching out through non-biblical sources, it would leave you in your life personally open to attack. So we encourage you, we warned you, please don't do that. Now today we have two warnings for you as well. Two angel warnings for you this morning. Here's the first one. It's also a blank on your listening guide if you're looking at that. Do not worship angels. That's, that's really a, a warning for us because Scripture is very, very clear that we worship God and we worship God alone. Angels should get no more focus in our lives than they are given in Scripture. And we are commanded to worship God and God alone. That's the first warning. Here's our second angel warning. Do not pray 
to angels. Again, God and God alone is our source because we don't have any authority nor power to direct the activity of angels. Only God does. That is something God and God alone does. And the Bible is also clear that there is no mediator between God and man. In other words, the angels don't come in as a messenger taking information to God on our behalf. No. There is no mediator between God and man except, the Bible says, Jesus alone. And we can also put God's Spirit in that because there are passages where God's Spirit is interceding for us and on our behalf. So God is the only mediator between us and God. Angels are not. So we do not pray to angels. We pray to God and God alone. And it is God who directs the workings of angels. So, angels. Maybe the best way for us to kind of progress through this morning and to tackle this topic today is if we were to answer, because we only have this morning, that's all I've set aside this morning uh, for this topic is just today. So maybe the best way to do it is just to answer some frequently asked questions about angels. And I have collected some of those, and I have, have some answers for us. I would say this, everything I'm about to say, I'm not going to throw up all the verses because there's a verse for every, every single thing I'm getting ready to say. If you want those verses, please download the app. They are all on the listening guide. I have them listed on the listening guide. I'm going to take the information from those verses very quickly, and I'm going to run through some of these questions, frequently asked questions about angels, and then we're going to end this discussion by looking at a passage of Scripture that I will have on the screen. Okay, So this is how we're going to approach this morning. Frequently asked questions about angels. Here's the first one. The first question, when were they created? Now, I'm just going to tell you off right off the bat, we only have clues that hint at the possibility of when they were created. We don't really know from Scripture, which means if anyone tells you that they know when angels were created, they do not know because God has not made it clear, which means it must not be that important for us in our lives right now. Let me tell you a couple of clues, a couple of hints that give us a little information where we can at least narrow it down some. The Bible tells us in the book of Job, which falls a little later in the order of Scripture, but if you're looking at which book, which parts of the Bible were written first, it is speculated that the book of Job possibly could be the oldest piece of writing in the Bible. The book of Job tells us in, the, in Job 38, I'm not going to read that passage to you, but I'm going to explain it to you. That, that chapter, chapter 38, God tells us that the angels were already present and there, when the earth was created. So the angels had already been created by the time the earth 
is created. We just finished a whole series on that creation, and which tells us this. So the Bible doesn't say this is the day or this is the moment, this is when the angels were created, but we do know because of Job 38, because the angels were there, God says, applauding, celebrating as God was creating the earth. So we know it happened before the earth was created. Now, we, uh, we know when the earth was created as far as what God tells us. We don't have a date for you, but we can tell you this. It happened in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> so that's as close as we can get you to when the angels were created, it appears that it is possible that they were created sometime during verse 1. We don't, that's as close as we can get. Um, anybody else who tells you more information and they say it emphatically as if they know, well, I'm just telling you we don't know because God didn't say. Those were our two clues, the two best clues that we have, the two best hints of when angels were created, possibly sometime in the middle of verse number one. Now let me give you an important point on angels here. Since God created angels, there have been no new angels created. Here's why that phrase is important. When your loved ones, who are Christ followers, when they die, they do not become angels. They never will. You will never be an angel. I will never be an angel. If you are a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you have a whole special a whole special realm and special part of eternity. But we will never be an angel. Angels are created beings and no more have been created, no more are going to be created. Every angel that was ever created is still around today. There are no new angels. When a Christian dies, he, he, he or she does not get his or her wings, and become an angel. It just doesn't happen. I know it's popular to think that, but let me tell you, that's not a downer. That's a great thing. Because we have an amazing eternity that God has for us as followers of Jesus. Amazing. You will not be disappointed. In fact, angels look upon us with some envy. You will not be disappointed. All right. Next frequently asked question. What are angels like? What are they like? Well, this is a, this is a big question. Scripture gives us lots of hints and lots of information in context. It doesn't sit down and give us a list. But when you go to all of these different verses that we have listed there for you, you can paint a pretty good picture of what angels are like. In some ways, Scripture reveals to us that angels have some similarities to us. In some ways. Angels, the Bible 
describes that they have intellect. In other words, they can think. That angels have emotions. They can feel things and, and, and experience emotions like we can. The Bible tells us that angels have a will. In other words, they can choose, make decisions. They have a will. Uh, the Bible kind of explains how angels can actually touch people. It describes how they can take them by the hand and lead them. The Bible describes how angels can engage, although it's in a different way than we would here today physically, but they can engage in combat. Angels like us can only be in one place at one time. They can't be everywhere at once or in two places at the same time. One place at one time. Now, Scripture also reveals some ways that angels are nothing like us. The Bible describes them as spiritual beings. Spirit beings. Angels are not limited. They are not limited to uh, uh, physical bodies like we have. In fact, angels, because they are spirit beings, they can teleport. They can be here and they can be then over there in a moment, in an instant. They can be with God in heaven and they can be then right here in a moment, in an instant. Because they are not limited to our physical laws, our physical bodies. They are spirit beings. The Bible describes that they can basically to some level, to some extent, Shape shift. Angels are not limited to when they come as the appearance of a man. That's not their normal appearance. They have shifted into that shape, that physical shape. Interesting. In uh, you could have the possibility of seeing an angel in natural sight that looks like a man and that has human functions. The Bible describes that when they are in this kind of form where you would describe them as a man, the Bible describes how they also had some human functions, like they, you know, they ate. Interesting. They're not like us in this sense also that they can be seen by some and not by others all at the same time. They may allow themselves to be seen by some people and at the same time others can't see them. Interesting. The Bible describes that angels do not reproduce. The Bible describes that angels do not die, which is why we know that every angel that's ever been created is still around, that spiritual being still around today. The Bible describes that they at times can be seen and not recognized as an angel. The Bible describes that as well. How they could be in your life, active working in a moment, and you may just think it's a person, but it could be an angel. The Bible describes that. The Bible describes how angels have greater attributes than we do. Uh, they have more knowledge 
than we do, but they have less knowledge than God. But they have more knowledge than us. You know, angels do not have to study history. You know why? Because they have been here and they have seen all of the history. They know it. They saw it. They experienced it. The Bible describes how angels have more power than we have, but not as much power as God. But they have more power than we do. And some the Bible also kind of describes how angels have some organization and some structure. How they are given responsibilities and different levels of leadership. Here's the next frequently asked question. What do angels do? What do they do? The Bible describes very clearly that angels serve those who are believers and those who will be believers, those who will choose to follow Christ. The, the angels serve them. That's one of the things they do. They serve them by revealing knowledge, information to them, by revealing unknown truth to them. They serve them by giving personal guidance at times. They serve them at times by protecting them from harm. They serve them at times by delivering them from enemies. Those are all ways in which they sometimes, when commanded, serve. They also can encourage us and they can strengthen us. There are examples of that in the Bible. So, there are also times they physically protect us. Now, here's the next question. Who are some of the angels that we have actually heard about in Scripture? Who are some that we've heard about? Well, here's, here's one name you have heard about in Scripture. Uh, his name is Gabriel. Gabriel shows up in Scripture many different times in the Old Testament, and he shows up in the New Testament. Gabriel seems to show up when there is a messianic message, which means when there's some kind of message that he has been chosen to deliver to us humans that message, some message that has to do somehow with the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. We see, Dan, we see him showing up uh, way back in Daniel, the book of Daniel. We see that very same angel, Gabriel, not another angel with the same name. We see that very same angel showing up in the New Testament. Um, talking about the coming of John the Baptist, who was going to announce the coming of Jesus. We show him showing up to Mary, the mother of Jesus. We see Gabriel showing up to Joseph, the father of Jesus, the earthly uh, father. So every time he shows up, it seems to be some kind of message related to the coming of Jesus. Same thing, all the way back in the book of Daniel. That's what he was announcing back then, too. That's uh, Gabriel. Um, there's another, another angel that you have heard, his name possibly, and his name is Michael. And Michael is described as the, arch, uh, the archangel. And, and that would be really kind of just the boss, the boss of the angels. 
Um, now, Michael has some very special responsibilities, though. When he shows up, it seems that Michael is always engaged in like a spiritual warfare on behalf of the nation of Israel. That's when Michael shows up, when it's something related uh, somehow to the nation of Israel. All through the Old Testament, when you, when, that's Michael, the archangel. And he, we also have clue that the archangel is going to play a significant role uh, when Jesus does return as well. But it has to do with that nation of Israel. So those are two angels that the Bible talks about specifically by name. Um, so here's the next question then. What are the angel types that are described in Scripture? So, what, so we know a little bit about what the Bible says, what they are like, but what are some of the categories, the types of angels? Um, we've just mentioned uh, the messenger. There are messengers. that we. There's the archangel. There's one of those. There's a couple of others that are mentioned in Scripture, and we showed you a picture of one just a moment ago, and that would be the cherubim, singular for cherub. I mean, plural for cherub. Cherubim, they are not little dainty, fluffy-winged, little dainty, little angel creatures. They're nothing like that. In fact, they would be described, really, cherubs would be described as part of what you could call super angels. These angels are mighty. There is nothing dainty. There is nothing soft and silky <laughs> about these. They're not floating around on cloud. These are super angels. Um, the cherubs, they're described as having four wings, four wings. And again, angels have the ability to change form. They can show up as men. They're not always in that wingy form with four wings. It, they are spiritual beings. But they are mighty. They are warriors. It is the cherub that you will find one of the cherubim who, uh, who there is guarding the tree of life. That's the ro one of the roles of cherubim. And that goes all the way back to um, the first few chapters of Genesis as well, the tree of life. And it is being, being spiritually and physically guarded by cherubim. Um, cherubim are, are mighty. Um, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. There's another category that we hear mentioned in the Bible, and we find them only in two places in Scripture described, and that would be the seraphim. Again, that's plural for seraph. The seraphim are described as having six wings, the seraphim, it seems as they're described in Scripture that one of their main responsibilities is, revolves around the worship of God himself and protecting the holiness of God. That's what we find. We don't have a lot of information about the seraphim, but that's what it seems to be. 
Now, there are some other angel types described in Scripture. We have, uh, they're called sometimes principalities. You have them sometimes described as powers. Sometimes they are described as elect angels. There are many, many more. In fact, one of the phrasings of how many angels there are, one, one description of them in the Bible is that they are innumerable. There are many, many, many. And they are organized. There are some principalities. There are some powers. There are some elect angels. There are messengers. There's cherubim, seraphim. There's the archangel. But right now you might be thinking, but wait a minute, Harley. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You did not mention guardian angels. So tell us about, Harley, tell us about the guardian angels. Well, there are two passages in Scripture that you can look up. They're they're listed in your notes, but I'll tell you where they are. Two passages that seem to be where uh, people have come up with the idea of guardian angels, and it's from Matthew chapter 18, verse 10, and also Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. But really, just being honest with you, really... The concept of guardian angels from those two passages, it's really a misunderstanding of Scripture. It's really a misinterpretation of those passages. You see, the belief in guardian angels, it has been around for a long, long, long time. But the truth is, there's really no explicit Scripture that supports our concept that we have grown up with of a guardian angel. It's just not in Scripture. We just don't find it. To you, to concept that there is an angel that has been assigned to you, to each believer, it's really more of a myth than it is a scriptural truth. Now, when you look at those passages, it talks about some angels, um, and it's really not mentioning your angel, a personal angel. It's mentioning angels serving all mankind. I mean, that's the reality. It's not about you having a personal angel. It's about how they serve all mankind. And, And beyond that, those angels in those passages are not being attentive to you as an individual. When you read those passages, those angels, they are with God, and they are watching, as it describes, the face of God. They're not really even paying attention to your face at all. They're watching the face of God. They're paying attention to God. And here's why that's so important. Because it is from God, and an angel can only be at one place at one time. They're watching the face of God, waiting on God to give them direction. To give them a job. To give them a mission. To give them a plan for that moment. They're watching the face of God, watching and waiting. 
which really ultimately, I mean, that makes perfect sense, really, because only God is omniscient, which means only God is all-knowing. The angels are not all-knowing. It is only God who can see every believer, every moment, and it is only God who can know all at the same time over all of His creation the needs of every one individually. It is only God who can send an angel at His call to intervene according to God's plan. Because those angels are continually seeing God's face, the angels are at His disposal for Him to send whenever He chooses to help in whatever way He decides. Now, God could meet all of those needs Himself because God is not only all-knowing, God is all-powerful. But for some reason, God has chosen to use these spiritual creations of His called angels in a similar way that He has even chosen to use us. This physical creation and the soul that He has given us. He chooses to use us. He doesn't need us. He chooses to use us. Same way with the angels. He chooses to use them to meet some needs that He sends them out to meet. But it is all directed by God. So now let's take a moment. This world that we cannot see we're going to look at an Old Testament prophet very quickly in a passage of Scripture. His name is Elisha, and a prophet simply means it was a man, not an angel, a man that God gave his message to, to give to others. He was a prophet of God. His name is Elisha. We find this story in 2 Kings chapter 6, and this gives us an example of how God works in and around our lives, and in this case, in the world that we cannot see. Filled with all the life that we cannot see. This little piece of history takes place 800 years, uh, roughly, 800 years before Jesus was born. So here we pick up this description in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, this was one of their enemies of Israel, when he was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to mobilize our forces at such and such place. That's what we're going to do. Verse 9, but immediately Elisha, who is the man of God, the prophet, he would warn the king of Israel. Now, Elisha was not at that meeting. But God would get that information to Elisha. And Elisha would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place. For the Arameans, here's what they're going to do. They're planning to mobilize their troops there. So don't go near there. Verse 10, so the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he would be on 
the alert there. In other words, Elisha had this insider information given to him by God, and he kept them safe. The king of Aram, he became very upset in verse 11 over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is a traitor, he said? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? Because he was doing this in his war conference behind closed doors, perfectly secret. Verse 12, it's not us, my lord, the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, he tells the king of Israel, even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. In other words, someone's telling him, but it's none of us. Verse 13, go and find out where he is. That's what the king commanded. So he said, so I can send a troop to seize him. And the report came back. Elisha's at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram, he sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. So the king is going to do business. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take Elisha out so he can no longer interrupt, foil his plans. Verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. And so he begins to freak out. He understands it is over. It is all done. He says, oh, sir, he's talking to Elisha. What will we do now? The young man cried. Here's what he said. Verse 16. Elisha said this. Don't be afraid. That's what Elisha told him. He said, for there are more on our side than theirs. There's more for us than theirs. We don't have to be afraid. As many men and troops and soldiers and chariots that they have, oh, we have more. Now here was the problem, though. The guy's looking around. He's like, I hear what you're saying, Elisha. But it's just us. We do not have more. Look, have you actually looked out there to see what's out there? They have us surrounded. Verse 17, then Elisha prayed, O Lord, he said, open his eyes and let him see. And that's what God did. The Lord opened his eyes and let him see. He opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. All the life that he could not see in this spiritual realm that God already had planned, he already had there. He just couldn't see it. They were all there. Filled with horses and men. Chariots of fire. It goes on to describe how, how the uh, Aramean army advanced toward them. 
But this time they're, they're fearless. They, they know. He saw. That's, we've got that all. And, and Elisha prayed. He said, you know what, God? Just, just make that entire army. Would you make them go blind? And that's what God did. He struck them with blindness. But the amazing thing about this is how God, God had this entire army there and ready in this world they could not see. And God just allowed him, I think for our benefits, even on this day today, so they could record that in Scripture, allowed them to see the world that we cannot see. So here's why I say this. Whether or not that we have our own personal guardian angel, whether or not we have that angel to protect us, it really doesn't matter. Do you know why? Because we have an even greater assurance from God. If we are His children through faith in Christ, the Bible tells us that God works all things, all things. In the book of Romans, He tells us all things together for our good. And plus, that means that everything that we experience in this life, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is, it has been filtered through God. And beyond that, no matter what it is we face, the book of Hebrews tells us, as His followers, we are never alone. Not because we have a guardian angel. That's not, what, not why we're never alone. We are never alone because Jesus Christ Himself said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. God Himself is with us. Now, if we have an omniscient, which means all-knowing, an omnipotent, which means all-powerful, and an all-loving God that is beside us, does it really matter whether or not there is a created spirit being called an angel who is our own, sent to protect us? Does it really matter if we have God? It doesn't. Now, here's my challenge for you this week. Will you set aside a few minutes every single day this week? A few minutes to have a conversation with this God who knows you. Will you just pray to Him? As many days as you can this week. I'm not going to give you a number because we're not going to be legalistic about this. As many days as you can this week, will you set aside a few minutes to have a conversation with God, your Creator? And in that prayer, will you take a moment to worship God and just adore Him for who He is? Because He alone is worthy of our worship. Will you just tell Him how great you think He is? And then will you take another moment to confess to God the sins that you have committed that day? It's not because God doesn't know them. What you're really doing is just agreeing with God. I've blown it. I've blown it. And would you ask Him to forgive you? 
So would you worship God? Would you confess to God? And then would you take a moment to thank Him for everything that He's done for you? And name some things by name. Thank you for this and thank you for this. And then would you take a moment to pray on behalf of other people that you know? And maybe even some people you don't know. Don't pray generally. Pray specifically for those people. And then, to your God, would you end by presenting your needs to your God, your Creator, who died on the cross for you to redeem you and to save you. Will you present your needs to Him? Will you this week, in light of the topic that we are teaching on, will you set angels aside? And will you worship our God? Will you have a conversation with our Creator? Because He is our only hope. Our hope is not in the spiritual beings He created called angels. Our hope is in Him and Him alone. Will you this week have conversations with your God? Join me right now as we pray. God, you have told us that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. You will not abandon us. So God, we can say with confidence right now that you, our Lord, you are our helper. And we will have no fear because you are our helper. What can mere people do? God, Elisha told his apprentice to not be afraid spiritually. That there are more on our side than theirs. Those enemies are not your equal, God. You alone are enough, but for some reason, according to your plan, you created these spiritual helpers called angels. And they far outnumber the evil force of this present darkness. And you, God, and you alone will dispatch your pure spiritual forces to do your will. And one day, your creation, according to your timing, God, one day, your creation will be restored and it will be perfected again. And until that day, we continue to follow you here, day by day, moment by moment. And it is in the name of our sinless Redeemer, Jesus, that we pray these things. Our only hope, Jesus. Amen.